I think uh, before we proceed, I want to really thank Narath for sharing such beautiful moments. Frankly, if I were to go by the mood of my moment, I would just like to stay silent. No story can be greater than her story, touching the lives of people. One feels so overwhelmed and full of gratitude. (laughs) That's the closest. Maybe we can take a cue from what is left unsaid about this story. The inner side of all our stories who turn to the divine. When mother was asked Have we all met in previous lives? He says, yes, you don't remember it, but I know we have all met in previous lives. And we chose to be here at this moment to participate in the work. So it's not by chance, it's not just here, just like that. I'm actually fumbling because I'm so overwhelmed. Her love does something. We all assume so many names and forms, but behind that, there is the story of the divine and his child, the psychic being in us. In fact, when Narad was uh, speaking about, uh, you know, when you take yoga and you invoke Mahakali and you go through all the difficulties of purification and eventually she leads us through everything, I was reminded of essays on the Gita, how Sri says that the uh, relation of Arjuna to the divine teacher is how it is typical and representative of divine dealings with humanity. That how he is leading us through our nature and when one has to go through a period of preparation and purification, he stands back and lets us go through it. But at every crisis his hand is felt. It's as if there is a guiding hand carrying us through everything. Through all the bitterness of death and fall, an outstretched hand is felt upon our lives that keeps in its unslackening grasp forever safe the one inevitable supreme result, the crown of conscious immortality. 
the Godhead promised to our struggling soul. This is a promise, an old promise of the Lord. And this is a story of that promise. It all starts when within the divine consciousness there is the first star of creation. All our human words are all crude approximations when we say he willed it, he desired, he wished it. All these are uh, words that have actually no sense when it comes to what that experience would be. And as the mother says, in fact it's a story in the Rig Vedas in a different way, but it's very, very similar. So they were the first four emanations, the four great beings, the four great aspects, powers, divinities or gods with a capital G, if you like, who emerged to enter into the play or to start the play. Each is carrying a mandate, each is linked to each other and each is linked to the one from whom it has issued forth. It is said in the ancient Vedic myths that the first four emanations refused to carry on the creation, they turned back. It was so difficult. But eventually they came again. At some point they went forth. And as they went forth, something happened which uh, we can understand by way of in another example. Imagine a house where four children meet the father and they are given an errand. And obviously, yes, we know what we have to do. They are told what they have to do. But as they move out of the house and they say bye-bye and they move a little further, they turn round the corner and slowly the house and the errand remains more like a vague memory. And as they move ahead, each begins to go about his own way and the scene that is behind fades into the background. Many of us here have come very far away from their homes originally and I'm sure there was a transaction, emotional, intellectual, spiritual, which took place. So as one comes, slowly that goes into the background and one begins to create on that basis one's own little world. In the case of the four emanations, it was not a little world, but each began to create his own world. And as they went further and further, is a way of saying further and further, further and further in context of time. And as they went ahead, space, the each began to believe that he is the power which is creating. So the one is veiled, just like a child issues forth, carries in itself the blood, the 
genes and everything from the parents, the consciousness of the parents. But as he begins to proceed further, he has an independent life of his own and breaks away at some point. So something like that happened and they got into a state of consciousness where they believed something like that oneness behind was veiled and each thought that he is the doer or he has the power and with that first veiling the act of oblivion was complete in a sense. The logical consequence was because that was forgotten each fell rapidly in a sense losing its connection with the one as I said human language is very poor one could say that it lost connection and fell but well from the side of the one there is no loss of connection but for each one there is a loss of connection at each plane many more emanations of each one went forth and crisscrossing further into the world they forgot from where they had originated the original script as each one created a world, the original will, as it got transmitted, became a little, little, little deflected. There were formatures, form makers, whose task was to give a form to the formless. And the initial forms were very subtle and plastic, but gradually even these forms began to become more and more crystallized, more and more rigid. And finally, as a result of it, through these many worlds at each level that the consciousness rested, it created a world till it finally fell and became the very opposite of what was originally intended. So truth became falsehood, life became death, consciousness became unconsciousness, bliss became suffering. The names change. Sometimes the names Sri Aurobindo in records of yoga has used names from the Vaishnava tradition of the four great emanations. So mother has used these simple names, truth, bliss. And once the consciousness fell into its opposite, into as if the very shadow of the original light, there went, as it were, from this darkness a call like an SOS. What happens when one forgets the way? I learnt it today the hard way. I actually forgot the way. I just thought that I am going round the lake. And it's very easy if I just go round the lake. If I keep myself centered around the lake, I'll reach. But I didn't know that this knowledge is only an essential knowledge. The detailed knowledge is very different. So I went round the lake and at some point I discovered that I have lost my way and which way to go I didn't know. So something happened which exactly happened during creation. These energies which went, they sent an SOS. Some mechanism, some technology, SMS. <laughs> There came a response from the Divine. What was the response? In response to these four emanations which had lost and turned into an opposite, 
another layer was created the gods so the first four asuras who came into being and then the gods the second born they were in response to these asuric beings who had fallen who these are we'll talk about it little later so these gods were called and they were given a most difficult and challenging task go fetch them back fetch them out they refused they said it's very tough who will talk to the asuras go to the darkness where are they hiding we don't know so it is said that each of them cast is eventually varuna found they are hidden into the depths of darkness so of all the people they asked which god will go agni said okay i am willing to go but i don't think i can do it alone i need help so they were wondering and debating who could help then all these gods suddenly saw that in the heart of the mother the divine mother the divine consciousness if we like aditi they saw a very luminous light whose brilliance was unequal to anyone and they asked that if that comes with us we will go so i we need something of that that which we see shining here it's not yet a god which is born but if that can come we are willing to go this is the story so she said all right and out from her heart there oozed out this most luminous of all lights and that is love and love went forth into the darkness agni and all the gods following and love dust base into the darkness and the first response of the darkness was that a little bit of it crystallized around this little center that is the psychic essence and that is why it is the very nature of the psychic to love the divine it is the very nature of psychic to turn towards her because it is nothing else but the mother's love which has crystallized itself in the form of that spark it is the sign the moment psychic awakens it feels love bhakti devotion surrender very naturally it doesn't have to be taught that because it's his very nature in my story because god chose another way he sent two beautiful ashwins mahinder and mahipal on the way running suddenly out of the blues because i also sent in sos that mother it's nearing 7 and i have to get back because dinner will be over at 7:30 and all that program was there in my mind suddenly i see them appearing from nowhere and uh, i don't know whether i asked mahipal or on his own he suddenly said you have to go this way and turn left and then both of them vanished just like the gods <laughs> gods don't wait for long you have to catch them otherwise they go i said all right i am i think i know the way i went i and i lost the way again i went somewhere else from where i again glimpsed them running far away and again they vanished and i said i can't catch it i can't run like this and you know time was catching up and uh, as i was walking i sent another sos and i saw satish so i said my god their mother has helped me 
So I said, Satish, you came like a god. And he said, I was waiting for you. And he escorted me back. It's amazing. I was, you know, the whole story of creation was relived on a miniature scale. So as the psychic consciousness crystallized the first contact of divine love as it plunged itself into darkness, it created a little nucleus of light around which the darkness can gradually, it has the power to draw it near and change it. It is the first transmuting that parasmani as it is called which can change base metal into gold within us. Its very touch changes darkness into light. Very often people ask Shurabindo, doesn't give us a very easy guideline, do this, don't do this. Well, he does, but not in the way it is given in other yogas like yamas and niyamas. The reason is very simple. Shurabindo says, bring out the psychic. If the psychic comes out, many things which are difficult, suddenly they become weak. In one of the Upanishads, Svetashvatar Upanishad, it is described, the touch of the psychic. Antaha sharire jyotirmayo hishubhro yam pashyanti hrithaha shina dosha. Just by its very sight, all the doshas, errors, difficulties, stumblings, mistakes, propensity towards the sin becomes weak and falls off. It's another action is described in the Vedas is makes the crooked straight. So you don't have to tell, do this, don't do this. Mind is a very uncertain thing. If it tries to do one thing, it does it at the expense of another. But when the soul comes out, it spontaneously tells us, well, this is not to be done. It holds us back. Something holds us back. It's not even that we have to make an effort. And it slowly makes the crooked straight. So along with the psyche, all the gods, and they started pulling this darkness out. Actually, the darkness was feeling at that point of time that it is called some more people and into its fold. But it didn't know that this is a divine strategy. It started interchanging, conversing, telling it. This is another story in the Rig Vedas where the hound of heaven, Sarma, goes to the caves of the Panis and tells them, look, you know, come out and go to Indra. They say, you come here. They literally try to bribe Sarma. You come here, we will show you the riches, we will give you this, we will give you that. So there is an interchange which follows between darkness and light. And darkness tries to convert light and light engages in that interchange. The whole process described beautifully in Savitri, in the book of death. If you really look at that book, outwardly it seems death is leading Savitri and telling her, almost trying to convince her. And Savitri is engaging in that uh, dialogue and slowly and slowly through the process death is getting transformed. It's very interesting. So slowly and slowly by the contact of that divine essence, that love which has gone into creation and the gods who accompany Agni, the divine will, Vayu, that which lifts, expands everything upward into the vastness water that makes things flow smoothly with minimum friction if you like. It's the reverse order of the story of creation now. Actually if we look at the whole process from below upward we can understand it that all the process, the purification 
first raw metal is taken up sieved then it's put in then it's washed then it's shown to fire then it's arranged in space there is an or- ornamentation the same process takes place from below upward in the return there is a sieving there is a washing there is a burning there is a carving and eventually things are arranged in space so the reverse process follows so these darkness is gradually getting more and more transformed by the contact of this psychic essence and it doesn't understand it thinks that basically it is covering up that light but the reverse is taking place and this is the process going on it's still not complete but what happens in the middle in the beginning darkness completely engulfs this light that is the animal creation the spark is there but it's lost in darkness it's described in one of the vedic terms as asanya mrityu the animal creation is described like that it is as if dead there is consciousness but very very limited it is in the domain of death death has complete hold over it and it feels wow i have eaten light it's in my belly the number of legends which refer to that there is a famous legend of you know how light believes that it uh, darkness believes it has swallowed and you know eventually it can burst forth from within the story of kach and devyani and um, you know how kach gets the sanjeevni mantra but i'll not go into this sticking on to this story but slowly this light begins to grow and change things from inside that little psychic spark turns into a psychic essence turns into a spark the spark goes into a flame and that's how it develops over a period of time into a psychic being and as this is happening as we enter into the human face the darkness suddenly begins to realize that look i had swallowed light but what is this happening i am getting changed so it feels threatened and there is a conflict which take place i think in the morning today or yesterday i think today we referred to this conflict as the original primal conflict in every human being all conflicts can eventually be resolved into an evolutionary conflict a conflict between the forces of darkness and the forces of light forces of darkness holding us down and forces of light carrying us upward now at each level of consciousness it takes a different form the closer we are to the animal kind the conflict is another form the closer we are to the god like kind even a small slippage can cause disaster because the whole nature of conflict changes when we are closer to the animal kind the conflict is not so acute but as one goes on it becomes more and more acute why does the divine allow this conflict at all why doesn't he just send a magic light and transform it because there is something in the darkness there is something in the asuras which also is useful for creation what exactly were asuras in the original vedic sense asura represented the force aspect of the divine just as the devas represented the light of consciousness or knowledge we have shurvindo's famous durga stroth where he says mother durga rider on the lion shiva priya and then he says 
give to us the strength and energy of the asura the intelligence and character of the gods not the puranic gods they are hardly can be called as paragon of characters but in the original sense give us the strength and the force the force and the energy of the asura tremendous power to effectuate things he is the first born of the earth and he holds the earth he has to come and plough the soil in the legend of krishna and balram it is indicated in different way balram ploughs the soil krishna dances with his float ploughing the soil is the task that the asura does it's a hard task he swallows the poison which comes in the process so shirbindo says why asura is loved by the shiva because asuras have chosen to swallow the poison and bitterness of the earth whenever we feel embittered the asura is hanging around be careful he is not you know to feel bitter our consciousness tastes like karela to the divine and he is not suffering from diabetes we should give him sweet things so an embittered consciousness is the stamp of the asura we read we read in savitri in new jersey center what the asura speaks how he speaks his whole language so he swallows the poison so he is loved by shiva but then shurabindo says what the asura does consciously do thou what the asura does unconsciously do thou consciously as shiva himself does shiva is nilkanti swallows the poison but not in the asuric way so when this conflict takes place why it is allowed we have another story for the moment we'll slightly digress it is more characteristically a puranic legend but it derives itself from the vedas it's an evolutionary myth and shurabindo has spoken about it and referred to it in his famous essay the superman and elsewhere and the story is about the great churning as we know that the parable of avatars is an evolutionary parable we have the fish avatar we have the tortoise avatar and we have the wild boar as avatar god descending first as fish god descending as turtle giant turtle god descending as the wild boar god descending as half human half animal god descending as the dwarf man so very clearly we can see the evolutionary progression evolution of consciousness and evolution of form now this story is about god descending as the giant turtle now this asura and the gods are in conflict they are fighting there is no issue of this conflict they fight sometimes the asura because they have greater force they throw away the gods out of their kingdom so gods have one recourse they surrender mother divine save us so vishnu has to come down and intervene shiva is giving all kinds of boons to the asura on the other side which vishnu has to take care of so you know it's a very complex process very interesting so in this story again the gods are outcasted and they tell vishnu what is this you know every time this happening he says yeah, yeah yeah i know but there is one solution to it that if you take the nectar of immortality you will become invincible so how is it to be found he says it's there in the depths of this great ocean sheet sagar i am resting on it right in its depth of this infinite ocean there is this nectar which will make you invincible and immortal so god said very good 
we'll go and find it. He said, no, you can't find it. You need the asuras for that. Now we come to that original sense of the asura, force and strength. Anybody tries to do yoga without having the strength in him will break down. In Upanishad it is said, Nayamatma Namedhana Bhavna Shudine. At another place it says, Nayamatma Balhine. This soul is not for the weak. In another place, Sri speaks of law of the way. He says, Hell will vomit its hordes and heaven will meet thee with its cold and luminous and pitiless denials. And then he says, Thou says that the Divine Mother and her grace will be with you? Knowest you not then that how difficult it is to keep her grace more difficult than to guard Kubera's treasures. Kubera's wealth is supposed to be in Indian mythology. All the treasures are there. Once Duman Bhai was shown those treasures when he was you know, thinking of shortage of money, he in his inner consciousness was taken to Kubera's abode and Kubera said all this wealth is meant for mother's work. <laughs> when the time comes it will be released. Let the instruments be ready. So he says more difficult than that is to guard that grace. And then he says strive and thou shalt arrive. Ask and thou shalt be given. But the law of the way is there and none can abrogate it. And he gives the reason. Nay, but then is the cup of immortality for the weak and the crown a prize for the weakling? So asuras have to be called in. All that force, energy, strength that goes into battling with world and life must turn within. And then the boats start the great churning. Now that story is also very interesting because the Sumeru Parvat, it's at, on many dimensions. Sumeru Parvat is almost one can visualize the spine. It, you know, it tries to go into the ocean, but it sinks. It sinks. So divine becomes the giant tortoise. And he says, okay, you rest on this. Now, who will, how to bring a rope to make, you know, to move that mountain? There was no mixy that time. And we, we know in India, they, you know, they make... Uh, Matha, what is it called? Buttermilk out of curd. With uh, There is a central stick and there is a rope around it and women do it so swiftly. It's amazing how they do it. Huh? So, yeah, to make buttermilk you need that. So, now, you know, the churning has to take place. So, Sumeru becomes that stick and Vasuki, the great serpent, winds around it and says, okay, you can use me like a rope. So, the divine says, okay, gods, take your place on one side and asuras on the other. Gods go towards the mouth and asuras feel very bad. Mouth should be given to us. Arrogant, proud, egoistic. We are not going to catch the tail of Vasuki. This is a demeaning thing. So, Vishnu says, alright, go, go ahead. That's what, always, wherever there is a play of power and seeking that position, asura is again behind. There again many stories of that. So Asura is given the head. But what happens in the process? Now every time the rope is pulled, after all it's a serpent. He breathes out and his fume is poisonous. So the Asuras over a period of time feel it was a wrong choice perhaps. <laughs> but now they have made the choice. And as they churn the ocean, one after another 
wealth starts coming out the inner wealth of yoga some of these things are ucheshrava the horse with wings shubindo refers to this winged horse in savitri arts winged shimeras are truth steeds in heaven so basically it's it's the mind with all its power of imagination so the titan king says i want it okay fine given to you then comes eravat the elephant seven tusked white elephant again a symbol so the god the king of gods indra gets it each of these gods you know are symbolic of a plane of consciousness of a state of consciousness of a power of consciousness so like that kastub money comes and it goes to vishnu lakshmi emerges and lakshmi they all rush but lakshmi says i don't go to anyone i'll go only to the lord so she goes to the lord like that it happens eventually they feel they are getting very close ah things are at hand and suddenly instead of the nectar emerges terrific poison called kalkut kalkut is supposed to be the most deadliest poison it emerges from the bowels of the earth that consciousness and as it emerges neither the gods nor the asuras can bear it it's so tremendous it begins to spread and all life is threatened by that emergence there is a phase in sadhana when one must drink that poison none can reach heaven who has not passed through hell line from savitri what is the safety at that time a prayer upon the lips and the great name nothing else can save ma 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 we were listening to narad prayer upon all intelligence intellect ma 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 a prayer upon the lips and the great name save me save me so all the asuras and gods suddenly lord what is this we thought we are going to get nectar we thought we are going to do yoga and become superman supramental beings but instead we seem to be becoming inframental whatever little <laughs> intelligence we had we seem to be losing it what is this so suddenly shiva appears on the horizon and he drinks all that poison so that is the image in the puranas of shiva drinking the poison and that poison stains his throat and he becomes neelkant so he has swallowed the poison this also is line in savitri he has swallowed the bitter poison so he has swallowed the poison so now again the air is cleared so we have to go through this phase and endure and only the divine grace can carry us in that no strength no intelligence nothing can help us after that again they resume the effort and out comes dhanvantari the great physician of the gods holding the nectar in a beautiful golden bowl but that's not the end of the story titan is impatient he will not surrender he says wow now it is there forget the gods i will rush and take it so gods are waiting that he will come and distribute but the titans rush and snatch that thing so how we have to be careful even till the last moment in the mother shirbind says you have a freedom of choice till the irrevocable transformation 
to turn away from the light and bear the, if you are willing to bear the spiritual consequences. What is the spiritual consequences? After all this effort you lose. Asuras think they get it. They snatch it from Dhanvantri and they start, I will drink it, I will drink it. Now they begin to fight over that bowl. Meanwhile, gods again send an SOS. Like I had to say, I have lost the way again. Send me some Satish. They say, what do I do, Lord? Lord said, don't worry, don't worry. I am there. And he assumes the form of a Vishwa Mohini. Literally, it means the most charming form that one can ever imagine in the three worlds. And suddenly the Asuras, they are all glue struck, wonder struck. Who is this form? She never came out of this. Suddenly we see the most charming form ever. They have for a moment forgotten about the nectar of immortality which is somewhere in somebody's hand. And she says, oh you want the nectar? With her sweet voice. Yes, yes. You are fighting? They don't know what to say. Don't worry, I will give whatever you all need. Give me that thing in your hands. In her heart, she must be saying, too dangerous to play with. <laughs> Take it. She says, very simple. All of you sit in one row. Now they are so enticed with her. They just sit in one row, one side. Then she calls the gods who were, you know, huddled in one side. You guys also come. You have also labored. Sit in another row. They also sit in another row. It seems she is carrying two pitchers. One which has water and the other which has nectar. The Asuras are now looking only at her form. How charming. I wish we had this lady rather than this nectar. Who will take this nectar? <laughs> so that is how their thoughts are running. And since their thoughts are fixed on her, she keeps pouring water. The gods are looking at the pitcher. Thank God for the grace that thou hast brought me this nectar and she keeps pouring nectar. One Asura is smart. He is watching something is going on. <laughs> something amiss. Some drama is going on which I don't quite get. So he changes sides. He sits on the side of the gods. And he gets that nectar and as he drinks one drop, the Lord recognizes and he slays his head. So his head becomes immortal and the body is mortal. It's very interesting. He is not deserving it, but his mind has got the discrimination. But the rest of his being doesn't have the discrimination. So a part of his being deserves, but the rest of his being is not ready. Because he had switched the side, not surrendered. He is still trying it by force and impatience. Now thus goes the story and it's very strange. Sri says something very interesting about this story. He says, because the Asura is impatient and born of the force of revolt and he will not surrender, therefore the reward, Vishnu's reward stands to the gods goes the nectar of immortality. So within us also we have this wrestle going on. That is the, our story. The story of the gods who have entered into the play, initially lost, then slowly they wake up by the touch of the psychic, that, that element which the mother has poured. Psychic is nothing else but the mother's heart in creation. 
it's described very beautifully in Savitri. But since she knows the toil of mind and body and life, as a mother knows and shares her children's lives, she puts forth a small portion of herself into a hidden region of the heart, a being no bigger than the thumb of man, to face the pang and to forget the bliss. It has come for this job. Tough job to face the pang. None of us is an orphan. It's one of the worst words to be used ever for anyone. Because the Divine Mother is with us and she has put a portion of herself in everyone. Nobody is there who is deprived. Irrespective of whatever caste, creed, color, gender, race, language, it's there in everyone. That's the beauty of it. It does not depend upon our faith, upon our religiosity or non-religiosity, upon our theism and theism and beliefs and non-beliefs. Irrespective of that, it is there in everyone. But when it identifies with mind and body and life, it bleeds upon the cross. It weeps and exults in defeat and victory. But when it steps back, when the time comes, it is ready. It steps back and it turns towards truth and good and beauty. All of us are asuras by birth. Asura is not somebody outside me. Of course, some people, because of their titanic deeds, because they are predominantly, overwhelmingly identified with darkness, like Hitler and others, they, we can in a certain sense say that yes, they are Asuras. But even he had a little psychic essence, which very often leaves them. But Sri said very rudimentary. They have tremendous energy, but very small rudimentary psychic essence. So everybody has that. So man is an Asura by birth. Sri words, when he describes the Devasuri Sampada in the Gita, he says it's not that some are Devas and others are Asuras. Man is an Asura by birth. He becomes a god by conversion. That is what is called in yoga as the second birth, which in ancient mystic literature was, in the West it was baptism, whose true sense was being born again. In India it was twice born, dvij. So if you are born again means now we are born to the spirit. Earlier we were born only to the body. We were aware only of the body and the physical parentage. Now I become aware of the divine parentage and I am born to the spirit. That's what it meant. But now it has lost its meaning. Any child is carried and you know he is born again. It's not like that. There is a point when we are ready to be born again and this inner birth takes place. The second birth. That makes us dwij, the twice born. It's a very sacred thing. Twice born means somewhere the psychic has reached that point where it is ready for the direct revelation. It has reached that point where it can communicate directly with its master and say, here are all these errant energies whom I have brought to you as an offering. Now, your grace alone can change them. All of us contain a beautiful part, the part which helps us turn towards the light and the right. And every one of us, irrespective of who we are, contain elements of darkness that resist which will refuse 
and is very unconscious it's not that we are even conscious about it through yoga we become conscious that is the emergence of the poison in fact a time comes when the subconscious is being cleansed that all this darkness emerges and comes to the surface stifling one thought one was wonderful and everybody else was bad this is our starting point of journey oh so and so is bad so and so is bad bad to me so and so i am so good why does everybody you know treat me like this they don't understand me i have done no bad to anyone this is our crude understanding as we grow we begin to see my god so much of darkness within and around that's the time we must make the supreme act of faith in the grace the psychic if it has come out the journey becomes smooth not less difficult but smooth so it keeps offering the darkness to the light keeps referring it to the light keeps referring it to the light and slowly and slowly the unfinished part of the story of all of us all this darkness will one day be transformed into light and that i suppose is the real sense of this mantra brahadaranak upanishad or at least one of the senses with which we will close and take questions we are all familiar with this mantra asado ma sadgamya tamso ma jyotirgamya mrityor ma amritam gamya in the normal sense we understand it from the darkness to the light from the non being to the true being from death to immortality in this understanding it seems there is a domain of death and there is a domain of light in a sense it is true but there is another sense asado ma sadgamya take me to the truth to the true being which is covered by non being within non being there is the true being extract it out tamso ma jyotirgamya take me to the light which is concealed in darkness mrityor ma amritam gamya take me to the immortality which is cowled in the cape of death and as this emergence because from the yogic standpoint this latter interpretation is experientially so true the actual yogic journey in experiential terms is this emergence as it emerges when light emerges through darkness what will happen darkness will be transformed when we move from the zone of darkness to the zone of light there is no transformation there is just a journey of from one state to another and that's why the upanishad speak which sudhalu was beautifully referring that you can be identified with darkness this one kind of darkness you can be blinded by light that's another kind of light that is the typical worlds the worlds of darkness the worlds of light but there is another sense which is more true of our yogic journey this light which is hidden in the core of darkness this psychic essence in us as it emerges and steps into the front it begins to change all that is dark into light and all that is given to death into immortality and all that owes its allegiance to falsehood it changes it into its allegiance to truth that is our story the deeper story of all of us i'll stop here if any quick questions we can take it over the fourth of the mother said he will die in india so all the asuras are rushing to india in a in a rush as they say 
millennium offer he will die mother has said that he will die in india so i am sure there are plenty of them competing with each other to die at the feet of mahisa surmardini bhavani bharati where else he can die but you see uh, i mean that's one part i'm sure that you know he has also accepted conversion it's bound to be in the scheme of things not everything the mother has revealed so when we interpret her words there has to be a caution that there is another side the larger side of the story of mother and shobindo which they have not revealed because obviously it's too much for human consciousness to understand so but he has said it seems that he will exhaust all his propensities so try to do as much chaos but the divine uses this as radhalu said he does the task of breaking the old order when mother was shobindo was asked that what purpose did hitler serve so why did the cosmic spirit allow he said because he broke the old world order so it is true that asuras create disorder but that is only because the apparent order and harmony was not yet based on something higher and deeper something which can endure so it had to break and this breaking of the lower harmony or the lesser harmony is a passage of confusion but a passage that leads towards eventually towards a higher harmony even in individual yoga when people pass on from the stage of mental control to the psychic control they go through a very difficult phase and shurbindo has spoken about it that first thing people try to control mentally because they have heard this is good this is bad for a moment it works but after a while this there has to be a transfer of power it is the psychic that must govern in savitri it's written very beautifully that uh, but for this high spiritual change to be the heavenly psyche must put off her veil and step into common nature's crowded rooms so during that phase there is a stage when one has lost the mental control over one's impulses and propensities but the psychic control has not yet fully emerged and that can be very unnerving and yet it is allowed because there is no other way sometimes people who are living with a very strict mental control are unable to get to the psychic this is also a paradox when somebody who lived in the ashram for many years almost 30 years uh, left the ashram in a half and you know he was got into a very bad mood and temper and anger so niruddash rubindo what is it that i see such a ex referring to him suddenly throwing himself in a fit of rage and going away what is it his nature was described by many as saintly shobindo reveals this truth he says mental control is always precarious it is always like this and then he gives the example of yudhishthir who lived by mental control satvik man but did something which none of us here can imagine he is supposed to be the paragon of virtues and the man puts his wife at stake as if she is a private property if you really look at it it's shocking and it is known that satvik people who live too much by the mental control when they lose it they lose all balance of proportion and that's why this psychic emergence is has its own dangers 
But that's why Shubhinda insists, first thing one must do is towards that. Once it takes charge, then yes, many things. But there is a passage. So the last asura, I'm sure, maybe sometimes I feel it was Osama. India is a united India. So Afghanistan, I don't know. <laughs> I fancy the fellow is dead and gone. It's always good to imagine nice things. So let's see. Let's sleep tonight with this idea that the last asura is dead. <laughs> the others are converted or transformed. All that is needed is their little anshas inside us needs to be transformed now. That will be a good labor for us. Ah, yes, that's the thing. Human beings will unite when the fellow has already changed himself. That is the whole trick. It's like catching the tail this way. Union will come about naturally and spontaneously when men awaken to the consciousness of unity. And that is not found at the level of mind. At the mind, there is association, adjustment, accommodation. Not unity. We adjust to each other, we compromise with each other, we accommodate each other. And it sounds very nice. We tolerate each other. It's a very interesting term. Sometimes I wonder why they use this term in interfaith dialogue. Religious tolerance. It sounds very, at least jarring. Tolerate. It looks like, you know, I'm tolerating you. <laughs> You're so horrible. I'm tolerating you. At the level of mind, that's all we can do. But that's a fact, you know, because at the level of mind, we can tolerate each other, which is great. But when the psychic emerges, then we will have the true sense of universality. So the, the, the stress in today's age, if we have to really realize the dream of unity is that men should be awakened to this psychic emergence. If they keep moving in the circle of the mind and its doubts and its passions and its egoism, whatever way we may try, that unity will be precarious. Let the psychic emerge, let the soul speak for itself, automatically unity will be natural. Even if we try mental way, what is bad about it? Nothing bad, it will break down. It will be just going in a large circle. Nothing wrong with it. All effort is good. But I am talking from an ideal perspective. That's true. One can try. Nothing wrong. The basic root cause is Hindu Muslim division. No, not only that. No, that is not the basic division. The division is between truth and falsehood. How do you bring them together? Islam is I mean, no, Islam, I was not referring to that. I was not, I have seen some very good Muslims, incidentally. I have some very good Muslim friends, wonderful people, whom I would really, if necessary, sacrifice my life for. I mean, uh, again, I would, uh, I am very clear on this. No, in every religion there are beautiful people and I can tell you uh, because I have lived in one of the most secular organizations which anywhere in the world one can boast of and that is the Indian military where every soldier regardless of his religion visits the Gurudwara, Mandir, Mosque, everywhere we have. When a Muslim dies, the Hindus, the Christians everybody stand together and give him salutations. So having lived in that organization, having interacted with Muslims, Christians and Sikhs, I can say that in every religion there are beautiful people. But yes, if you say as a dogma, then many religions and yes, Islam has suffered maybe 
gone to another extreme. But I was not talking of the, the, the division is of many kinds. Religious division is only one division. There are Exactly. So yoga is about bringing out the psychic. That's it. That's that's the solution. That's exactly what Shubhendu says. On mental, level, On mental level, it won't work out. Yoga is very different from mental. Uh, you know. So let's bring out the psychic and let's sleep with the psychic and let all Hindus and Muslims and Christians and Sikhs <laughs> realize that there is one God in the temple of the heart where the priest is the psychic being and let the gods awaken in our dreams and guide us.